God bless God. Please, please, please. We normally use this statement when we're doing authentic. Don't bear with me, build with me. Have we had a high water level this morning? Well, let's keep it. Let's keep the expectancy of the Holy Ghost in the house this morning. What God is saying to you, what he may be saying through you. Amen. Don't lose it. Just by suddenly thinking, I'm sure there's somebody, and I know there's more than one, sat here thinking, what time is kickoff this afternoon? Will I have time to get away from this to get back to the cup final? What is for later, later? We're in this moment, let him embrace us, let him take hold of us. I was moved so much this morning by that one line. He opens the waters, the seas, so I can walk right through it. And instantly I felt this check in my spirit and it went like this. When I commanded the people to walk through, did I set an age limit? When Paul turns around and says, running the race, did he turn around and said, get emerging voices and youth to run a race because you're old, old and knackered. I'm going to put you out to stud. So the race is for all of us. The ability to cross over and go somewhere new is open to every single one of us. I love Proverbs when it says, you have hope in the morning when you have breath. So if you woke up this morning and you're still breathing, there's hope. Amen? The day might go downhill from here, but I'm letting you know, if you woke up this morning, it's a good start. Amen? Amen. Just want to review for you very quickly. Last time I ministered brought on a subject of knock-knock. We talked about the frequency that God was setting in your heart. And we used the scripture as a reference and launching point that said, and the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to receive the message of Paul. And we used the context that says, as God is delivering a frequency, as he speaks out at a certain level, are our hearts set and able to respond to what he's saying this morning? And your response is, and your response is, yes. my heart is being set, he's putting me in position so that when I hear, I can respond and move to where he is. We used the term, didn't we, that we love it to say that, oh, we need the reformers back in church. Oh, reformation, we need it so that we can be shaped. And from that term reformation, the term chiropractor is brought into place, which means a resetting of bone back in position. And we use the illustration to say, whoever has had a bad back. You know that bit where you can't get out of the chair, you can't stand up, and you can't sit down, and you're stuck in middle ground, and it's whatever you do, don't touch me. There are some of us that the Holy Ghost needs to do that work of pulling and pushing to set us back into position so that our skeletons are set the way he wants us to be. I am set right as an individual so that I can be set correctly into the body of Jesus Christ. Amen? Pastor Tony and I were having a chat in the gym last night. We were working as well, but having a chat in the gym. And it was this wonderful, wonderful context, and it worked this way. That when you think of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made to give up the throne in heaven, to be born and come into the form of a man, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, to be beaten, to be rejected, so that he could be resurrected again. And by that power of that resurrection spirit, you and I can be made new creations. There is a reward for him. 
And you know what that reward is? You. God turns around and says, because of this, my son, I am going to give you the most beautiful thing in all creation. I am going to give you a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. So guess what, kids? We're all on our bride diet. We're on our bride fitness plan. We're getting everything all in place so that when we meet him, we will be what he dreamed we will be. On that moment when we meet him at the altar, what a moment that will be. Oh, my Lord. We enjoyed it anyway, having a chat and building that around. Share something with you this morning that a realignment that we're talking about and that God wants to deal with us in is in a holistic approach. Body, soul, and spirit. All dimensions of what we are, the thing that makes you you, the Holy Ghost wants to make sure, the Father and the Son work from heaven to make sure that I am realigned in position in my mind, will, and emotions, in my health, and in my spirit. Is that all right? He's not just concerned about one thing. He's concerned about the whole thing. So if we look at it very quickly, if we said about your health, you need to take your body back. You need to take your body back. If there is no body, he has no vessel to be able to work through. Because what a God works through a vessel, which is you and me. There isn't some strange mystery going on, abracadabra in the back of beyond. He works through lives, your life and my life. And if my life and I can't use his body for him, what's it being used for? I need to make the life changes and lifestyle choices that will cause me to be in this race for the long haul and not just for a very short period of time. I saw something a couple of weeks ago, because I'm an anorak. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching one of those supersize. Have you seen it? Supersize, documentary was, I think it was on Channel 4. And what they did was they took all of these people that had said, been on America's Biggest Losers, or had been on this, or had been on the Rosemary Colony diet, and they were slimmer of the year. Within inside 12 to 18 months, every single individual had either put on as much or more weight than they'd ever lost. Because your greatest enemy is your success. That as soon as you've hit what you want to do, hands behind your head, that's it. And you go straight back to what you were doing before, and the ground was lost. And you wasn't talking about, I lost half a stone. You wasn't talking about, oh, do you know what, aren't I doing really good? Because I'm three quarters of a stone lighter than I was five years ago. These people, some guys have lost 20 stone, 25 stone, and put it all back on. And what they said was the research worked like this, that when you lose weight, if you do not maintain a new lifestyle and walk in it, you will normally go back to within two pounds of what your maximum weight was. Because you must take control and police you. Success can be your greatest enemy. Taking back the area of the soul, the mind. I'm sure you realize, because I've realized, we live on uncertain times. The times we live in, of your fake news, of nutcases with a completely ridiculous haircut who live somewhere else, we don't need to mention names. 
we have all of this uncertainty, the uncertainty of Brexit, the uncertainty of what happens, the uncertainty of, as he said this week, pensions, the uncertainty of the health service. God wants to set us in a place that even though the storm is going left, right, and center, and the waves are crashing, I and you can still sleep in the boat. In the uncertain times, when it says of the wind and the waves, what is seen and what is unseen do not have to affect me and change my life. Things will have a knock-on effect, but how much does it change you in the very core and heart of what you are? In your spirit, we have that recreated man. We work out what God is working in. Pastor Tony's been encouraging us, hasn't he, to run the race and to finish with faith. We fight the good fight of faith, but we're running this race. Now, this morning, what I want to do is look at that race in a slightly different way this morning, but we're still dealing with the same context. But I had this thought. I'm assuming it was the Holy Ghost. It might have been too much cheese, but it may have been the Holy Ghost also. But I had this thought this week, and that is the body will run and finish the race without you. But you cannot run and finish the race without the body. God will not stop and wait for you to catch up. It continues to move. We follow the cloud. We're moving with that pillar of fire, as we've read this morning. We are moving to where he is, yes? God is giving every one of us the opportunity and the chance, not only to get on the starting line and to start running, but he's giving the opportunity to fill up and move forward. We read the scripture, don't we, about the five wise and the five foolish virgins. They were both virgins. They were both at the right place of being able to meet the bridegroom, but one filled their lamps and the others didn't. Until the 11th hour, when it was too late, and they wanted to buy or borrow what somebody else carried to get them to the place where they would meet the prize. Yes? We don't need to turn to the scripture. We all know the story. Have you ever been in the car with one of those people that goes to the petrol station every day? And when they go every day, it's £4.99 stroke £5 in the petrol tank. You go, why don't you put in a tenner? Or only, no, no, I'll do it like this, just in case somebody steals the car. If they steal the car, they're not having me petrol. And every day they go back, putting in the minimal amount of fuel to get them through the next day. You've never been in a car with people like that. Maybe you need to go to Openshaw more, but I'm telling you. <laughs> there are certain individuals that do not need to be mentioned in this environment that are very good at £4.99 in the petrol tank. But we are living and move with a God of abundance who's looking to give us more than we could ever dream, imagine. Yes? Now, again, I gave full kudos last night to Pastor Tony as we were talking. I said he's been using four words, origination, deterioration, restoration, and destination. If you will stop and give that some room in your life, it sets so many things in context. What God did with Israel, what God did with the church, what God is doing through history, and what God does with you as an individual will all be found somewhere in those markers. And it's absolutely outstanding what God is doing in us through us if you bring and take hold of that revelation. 
But I can guarantee with you this morning, almost guarantee, not 100%, but I won't be far off, that if we're looking at the holistic man, what I'm going to talk to you about this morning, I bet I hit the area of the soul before I hit your spirit. This is a spirit issue, but I bet I hit the area of your soul first. So what are we going to talk about this morning? We're talking about this morning, the title of this morning's message, Ralph, is If I Was a Rich Man. If I Was a Rich Man. Who has ever played the lottery game? I didn't say who's been on the lottery. Who's played the lottery game when you've seen, you've read in the paper, you've looked on the internet, you've seen the news, and it's uh, Mary Smith from the local council estate has just won the Euro lottery, won £38 million. And you've looked at yourself or you've said to your partner, a friend or somebody you were with, what would you do with £38 million? Has anybody ever played the lottery game? I tell you what, you need some creativity, guys, and a sense of imagination. There is so many ways that I can spend that 38 million. It's amazing how spiritual we get, because we always go, well, what I'd do is I'd build a new church. (laughs) We always get spiritual, because I've got 38 million quid. You've got 38 pence, and you won't build a new church. But while looking at, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and our imaginations run wild. And we always say that if I had wealth, I would do this. Is that right? And we put ourselves in a bracket that says, I don't have that. But if I did have, this is what I would change. Ralph, can you press the magic button for me, please? You can do your own dance. I see her 
Zwei Jahre Adlen. We get the idea, don't we? If it was a rich man, it's amazing. He's having his lottery moment while sat on his roof. That's the song from Fiddler on the Roof, by the way. And he's making all these statements, and the statements he made was, if I was rich, I wouldn't work hard. If I was rich, I'd build a bigger house so everybody could see just how wealthy I am. I'm going to stick it right in the center of town. I'm going to have poultry and stuff that make a noise just so people could know that I'm prosperous. My wife, apart from gaining a double chin, if you have a wife and you have a double chin, it's not to say that you're wealthy, it just means you've got a double chin. But what it said was she would then lord it and mistreat the people in her house. It said that she, they would influence leaders and they would come to them with their problems even when they haven't got anything to say. People will draw on you because they believe that you have. The song would then go on, if we continued it, to say that I would go to the tabernacle more, go to church more, the synagogue. I would pray more. I would read more. And I would look for a position in church if I was wealthy. And the final state was, I will move from being rich to being very, very wealthy. So back to our question that we started with, on your lottery context of having a dream, who would define themselves this morning of being a wealthy man or a wealthy woman? Okay? So we've got three. So we're looking at this, yeah? Three people are defining in the house this morning that they're wealthy. In Genesis 26, verses 12 to 13, we'll pick on this later, I'm just using it for reference now. It says, and Isaac planted crops in the land in the same year he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. I believe one of the greatest curses that we will ever find inside church and outside church is a poverty mindset. We move towards poverty, even saying today, if I said who would be deem themselves as being successful, I'm sure more people would put their hands up. But when we define wealth and we look at something like this, big house, all the trappings, servants, position, we go, that's not me. But wealth is more than what you've got in your bank. You know that? Poverty isn't reflected, or should I say this, poverty that we find is reflected and worked out in all of the areas of what we are. In our mind, will, and emotion, in our health, and in our spiritual walk. We can live as paupers when everything that he offers us is there for us to take hold of. There was once a statement which was written, which is this, there is no shame in being born poor. But there is shame in staying there. I am not responsible for my birth and for my origin. And that whole deterioration, what it meant to me growing up. But as I bring a restitution and God brings restitution in my life, 
my walk and life should reflect more that I live than a, with a poverty mentality. Is that all right? Yeah. Let me very briefly tell you, put poverty into a nutshell just for a second. Poverty is a thinking habit. It's built into a lifestyle, and it becomes a fear of lack. And where we don't even realize it, we build it into our kids and we're built into us. Eat all your tea. You don't know when something's coming again. You're better something than nothing. And we live with the fear of, if I don't have, I better snatch at everything that's coming now. I've used the, uh, the illustration and the analogy before, so please bear with me, that when Dan was in junior school and they said, who's your hero? Dan stuck his hand straight up and said, my dad is my hero. It's great if you are the hero of your kids. And I was walking around like, forget her strutting around with a double chin like a peacock. I was strutting around, hero, number one, this is it. Underpants on the outside, I am the man. I am going for this, the whole lot. And then I said, Dan, so why am your hero? And he said, because you always eat all your tea. <laughs> Wonderful. They were the days, huh? But it was this whole thing of if you're a generation and you're my generation, no microwave, when mum and dad said tea's ready, you had to be in for tea. If you didn't eat your tea, there wasn't, I'll just pop in the fridge for something else. Either your brothers and sisters ate your tea or you had the delight and the delight of your Sunday dinner plate with a plate on top that's been put in the oven and it's like eating cardboard. Oh, some of you don't know you've been born. You ate it while it was edible. My mum wants the best cook in the world, so trust me, when it's even gone down a few notches, eat it while it's going. You got it, but it leaves you with this mentality. We don't know where the next meal's coming from. We now live in a generation where I have breakfast, then I have snacks, and then I have lunch, and then I have biscuits, and there's chocolate, and there's fizzy pop. Not woe is me, but when we were kids, we didn't grow up like that. You got sweets if you were very good at certain times. You didn't just have biscuits. Fizzy pop wasn't around. You had to go to a restaurant to be given something like a fizzy Coke or something that going down. It wasn't something you had all the time. And the mentality was, my mum used to have this statement, if you don't eat that, it's a kid in Africa would eat it. And my response was, well, why don't you get that dinner out of the oven, shove it in an envelope, and send it over there, because I'm sure they'd like it more than I would. But it leaves you, and we all laugh, because this is how many of us were brought up. You are left with a mindset that goes, I better get it all in. I better get it stored in. I get it stored in. But what you don't realize is where it first starts with eating, it affects you in so many different areas. You know, the fear of lack is no respecter of person, rich or poor. I heard a man share his testimony. It went like this. I woke up on Thursday morning and I had 12 and a half million pounds in the bank. I woke up on Friday morning and I was minus 250,000 pounds. And his response was, it's better to have never had it than to have had it and to have lost it. 
the fear of lack, of thinking that somebody's going to take away what you have, that I must try and defend something, that what if it's gone, will drive you and cause you to mistreat people, do things the wrong way, hold on to what you think you've got because it's the same spirit that's driving you. This whole look at poverty. You start to think that no one cares about you but you. How many have been told this? I know I was told it growing up so many times. Chris, you're just a number. I go to work and they say, what's your national insurance number? And then they go, have you got your P45? Have you got your P60? You join the army or the police and you have a, a number. So you are recognized by a number. So if I'm recognized by a number, guess what number I'm going to look after? Number one. I will take care of me and mine. At a push, I'll take care of mine. But I'll start with me because a poverty mindset will make sure that I've got everything in. Pastor Tony once told a story. I won't use names because people... You know that whole thing where it says in the film, and certain names have been changed to protect the innocent. I'm changing names to protect the guilty. Okay, so we'll build it that way. Pastor Tony's on a plane, he's going to Canada, and he's not on his own, he's traveling with somebody else, and the stewardess has a moment, she passes, you know, like sometimes they have that moment of coffee, tea, passing, Pastor Tony's just having his dinner, her skirt catches his tray, he's then wearing his dinner. So he's wearing the dinner, the woman is so apologetic because he's wearing his dinner, correct me if I'm wrong, he's wearing his dinner, she then goes, I've had a look. There's no food left. You are wearing what you should have been eating. (laughs) Tony's response was to share and look to his brother, who was at the side, who has just seen me wearing my dinner, and seeing there is no more food on the plane, to be greeted with. We ain't sharing. Why? Because I will look after number one. It's a shame, but it happens, doesn't it? (laughs) Do you know what this poverty mindset will also do? It messes with your head. When it messes with your head and you let the scary person out, you know you live in the land of what if? What if? What if this? What if that? And most of the time we build scenarios that never will or never could ever happen. But what if? And I scare myself and I keep myself a prisoner. But again, it seems like all our yesterdays. In the what if factor, my dad used to make this statement. What if? If your brother was a girl, he'd be your sister. What if? As if to say, it doesn't matter. What it is, is what it is but we'll get drawn away so many times into all of the aspects of what it could be, what it might be, what it should be. And remember, we've used again in the past the Rihanna song, I made friends with a monster under my bed. I live and I know that my thinking process isn't right. I know that things are holding me in fear. I know that things will hold me captive. I know that it's not a healthy place to be. But am I willing to give it up? Well, Chris is willing to be honest. No. And do you know what we do? We'll go, it's all right because it only affects me and it doesn't affect you. 
Can I just tell you something? I'll put it into a different context for you. Think, Phil, wind your neck in before you speak. If we're meant to be part of the same body, and we're meant to be, I can do everything I can be to be the best I can be to be a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, you better not be a nutcase. <laughs> if I'm doing everything I can to work out what he's working in, don't you have the same responsibility? So that when he says he gives me a sound mind, shouldn't you have a sound mind? So shouldn't I be concerned that you are a raving nutcase and walk around with a jacket that fastens up the back? We have a duty to each other in the body to be all that we can be. Amen? It conditions us to almost prepare for a rainy day. So it's like, well, just hold on to things. We become hoarders. I've seen them things on TV where it goes, the hoarders, and the house is full of cornflake boxes that I'm climbing over and you can't get through and it's cat litter trays and all the stuff. I'll hoard everything. If we was to open majority of our minds, how many of us live like hoarders? We've got the impression that everything's all right in the outside, but on the inside, everything's falling away. But you know, this whole thing as it reflects our lifestyle when we're coming to this hoarding is I believe we're coming to a very key place in history that we have sown the wind and we are going to reap the whirlwind. Instant credit, borrow as much as you can, live life on the edge, and that house of cards somewhere down the line is going to call in its chip and everything is going to fall over. That's something for a different day. Also, the mentality that we have about prosperity, we're saying prosperity, this whole thing of poverty mindset, is that we start to look at people and say, if Chris is all right, and Chris has got some stuff, there's one reason for it. He's bent. Because he can't be doing things and prospering, because I'm doing things and I'm not prospering, so if he is, what is he doing different that enables him to be different altogether? So he must be on the fiddle somewhere. Okay, so you never thought that. I've thought that a lot about Chris, but <laughs> to another day. With the poverty, it's easy to start moving towards get-rich-quick schemes. No due diligence. I am just moved. I'm sure you've all had a text or had an email that goes, Hello, I'm Umbongo from the Congo. And I am an African prince, and I have 38 million pounds in my bank. And there's 38 million pounds in my bank I'd like to share with you because I found you by accident. I'd like to share my wealth with you. All I need is your bank details, your sort code, your PIN number, your mother's maiden name. And, all, and I will deposit this from my account into your account. And all it will cost you is... Everything that you've got, or even if you turn around and say this, all it'll, all it'll do is a transfer fee of 99 pence, and I will pass this to you. Just think of how much money you can get when people send 99 pence. But you know, because the enemy's smarter than we are, you know what's really a shock, and it, it's a state of our system in which we live in, is that once you have done that, your details are passed onto a mugs bureau. And then you will be targeted and hit and hit 
and hit with another scheme, another thing. And that's why when you read in the paper that little Mary has lost her entire life savings and people are convinced that because they're going to get something, they actually lose everything they've got. The spirit of poverty will keep you captive until you can move to a grace to see you set free. The Macedonian church, he said, carried a grace that even though they had lack, they had abundance in all things. And then the writer turns around and says, and I am sending Titus to you so that the grace may be completed in you also. There is a grace that can see us set free. The poverty mindset also will take us to a place of why we become ghetto rich. Do you know what ghetto rich is? Down with the kids. To be ghetto rich, and we've all seen it, we've all witnessed it. Have you seen it? Well, you hear it before you see it. The car comes down, you just hear the bass. It's all going on, and the guy's there in his Series 5, he's in his top-end Merc, he's doing everything he's got, and he's got 50 grand's worth of car, he's got, and he's doing the Rolex. The Rolex... Have you been in church all your life? The whole Rolex stuff's going on, and he gets out, and he's dressed in Armani, me, Armani, and Navy. But he's in Armani. He's got it all going on. But if you're following home, he goes into his one-bedroom council flat because he's ghetto rich. What the ghetto rich is, I want to set something in front of you, a picture that says, this is a man who's made it. Well, I haven't made it at all. Everything becomes a shadow. So know what you're saying, Phil, what's this got to do with running the race? Simple. In the entire thing that we look at, we cannot ignore one basic principle. That poverty has two workings, a mindset and a natural outworking. And in the natural outworking, if you're skint, you're skint. Shall I say that again? If you skint, you skint. If you go to the bank and there's nothing in it, guess what? There's nothing in it. So a question is, what do I do to see that turned around? That's something for a different day. But one of the issues is, is that when my situation has been pushed back, I'm on the wrong foot, why don't you turn and talk to somebody who's actually maybe making it work a little bit and say, what do you do that can help me? Why don't you help me to budget? Why don't you help me to look at this? Why don't you help me in these basic areas? And if you do it and then start to apply it, it might take you 12 months or 18 months to get out of the hole that you're in, but at least you'll be out. And once you're out, stay out. Stay out. Don't be like America's biggest biggest loser that have got it, have done it, and then as soon as I got out of debt, the first thing they did was send me an application for a new credit card. And when I got that new credit card, what I did was I banged it up to the limit because I can learn the lessons and move through. So let's change gear. Changing gear altogether now. Let's start to change context a little bit. We asked the question. The question was, who would define themselves as being wealthy? Only a few people did. It tells us in Matthew 5 and verse 3, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we all said, but what's the context? If you're saying blessed it is to be poor, you're reading the wrong context. 
The context is that I am spiritually bankrupt without Jesus Christ. And when I turn around and admit that without Christ, I am nothing, we're in a safe place. So blessed are they who say, I am poor without my connection to him. Yes? So we'll work around there. Now again, having this context, which we're working about, who said wealth had anything to do with what you had in your bank? Who said wealth was anything to do with how many dots and zeros, whether it's black or red, who said that define what you are? Wealth breaks down into different areas. So this is where this will affect your race. So let's start to look at it very quickly. It breaks down into seven areas. Your wealth is first defined by your health. How and what level do you find your health at? Do you live in strength? Do you live with good health? Do you know what? You can buy the best doctor, but you can't buy health. So many times, Kevin and I have had the discussion about one of the, who were deemed to be one of the most powerful and richest men in the world, Steve Jobs, the creator of Apple, had everything, had all of this money, but how much would he have given away to deal with that pancreatic cancer that killed him? You can have everything, but you cannot buy your health. Wealth is also defined as the family that you build. Strong family units built on love, respect, honor, and nurture. Note, church does not build and grow you a strong family. You do. You are the one responsible to build a strong family to have the love and care for your wife, to not aggravate your kids, to see honor and respect and influence moving both ways, you are the one who's responsible for that. Wealth is also defined as the ability to have a sound mind. The power of positive thinking without getting all new agey, without getting all weird somewhere, the positive thinking is, hey, I woke up this morning, there is hope. That God, Father, I thank you that you've blessed. We prayed in the prayer meeting this morning about when we deal with addicts, the ask, declare, intercede, confess, and give thanks. That often we want to give thanks when everything's rosy rather than giving thanks that God, even though I'm in this situation, you're still with me. That Lord, even though the Egyptians are hard pressing me, you will be the buffer between it and me. Yes. What about emotions? The ability to be consistent and stable and free from the roller coaster lifestyle. You know what the scripture says? Better a man who can control his own spirit than the man who can take a city. When you look at, and it's not my job this morning to make political statements, just want to step back and just observe behavior just here for a moment we talk about being emotionally stable but yet when you hear on the news or you see something if i'm to get a sharp stick you'd never be in our group veronica i'm telling you and poke donald just for a moment in anything how instantly there's a reaction and a response is any of that fitting for a world leader to be arguing to say, somebody said, your daughter looks a bit fat, is not for you to go on Twitter and fight the world. No. Emotional stability 
is yours and mine by right. Better the man who can control his own emotions than the man who can take a city. Finance. This is where wealth comes. The ability to gather, multiply, and distribute, learning to honor God with what we have. Now, the seven things, finance is only one of the seven. Now, I said to you this morning, who would define themselves as wealthy? Hopefully, we're starting to change our perspective a little bit. Possessions, the things that we own and grow in value. Gospel of the Muppets. Gospel of the Muppets Christmas Carol. If you want to see the measure of a man, count his friends. For a man's life is not measured by the abundance of his possessions. You can have more and more stuff, but what is it doing and where is it going? And the final one in that is talents and skills. Things that we take so much for granted, whether it's our abilities, talents, vocal, literacy, creativity, the ability to work with our hands. It's time, I wrote myself a note, it's time to let the genie out of the bottle. There is more in you than you ever thought there was. But for some, it's time to draw. For some, it's time to write. For some, it's time to speak. For others, it's time to counsel. For others, it's time to be all that you can be, that God is building something on the inside, not just to benefit you. But when you are generous with what you have, you become wealthy and generous towards somebody else. Yes? So let's go back to our scripture in Genesis. Genesis 26, it makes some statements, and it's very key that when you look at the sentence construction, we just read it as one piece, but it's broken down into several different areas. It says this, because the Lord blessed him, stop. The man became rich, stop. When God can build you, when God can touch you, He can cause anything to come to you and through you. But God must build and make the man. In blessing the man, he's making the man. He dealt with his motives. He dealt with his origination. He dealt with his his deterioration. He dealt with his restoration. That you will no longer be Jacob, but you will be Israel. He dealt in all of these processes in his life. God had to make the man. And when God can make the man, he became wealthy and very wealthy indeed. Reflecting every aspect of what wealth was. Not just how much have I got in the bank. Sarah, this is not you. I'm just using the term. Tasmanian devil, when you grew up. Anybody remember the cartoon Taz? Warner Brothers, Taz. And he'd make that squibbly noise, wouldn't he? And he'd spin around like crazy, would he not? And he was just, another term for some of the older ones, a whirling dervish. Literally just breaks into the room, and I am just life, and I am everything, but I'm completely uncontrollable. We can turn around and say, I'm full of life, God's got his hand on me, it's moving. But if you're not able to be controlled and steered, you actually become a danger to everybody else. If the Lord can make you. And this whole process of running the race, having a baton. Pastor Tony's got his new book that's just out. See him later. 
about living and leaving your legacy. It's all about that baton transfer. If everything inside of you is poor and a mindset, I have nothing to pass on, guess what you pass on? No, you don't. You pass on your negativity. You will pass on to the next generations that it's been tough for me, it's going to be good, uh, tough for you. We have a God-given connection. That there is a reason why you are planted in this house. You are planted in this house for your benefit. You're planted in the house for our benefit. And you're planted in the house for the global benefit. There is a reason that God brings you here for blueprints, for training, for equipping, and that you may have a wealthy life. So let's define those again. Health. We have a covenant reality that says health is your portion. Thank you, Kath. Health is your portion. Please forgive my lack of English here this morning, but if you live like a div, you'll be a div. If I'm just shoving down chips and beans and kebabs every 10 minutes, you do realize I'm going to poison and destroy what's in the inside of me. But my covenant reality, see, I can turn around and say, and we love it, I'm covered by the blood, he loves me, Jeez, cover the car in the blood, get your paintbrush out, paint all the blood, it'll all keep me safe. Or I turn around and go, right, I'm going to do that, but wear no seatbelt. Got to drive at 120 mile an hour, if I could, in Angie's Daihatsu. I'm in the fast lane, hard shoulder be good enough. I'm giving it everything I've got, because the angels are watching over me. If you jump out of a plane without a parachute, Hoping that an angel's going to catch you. All the best. All the best. Can God rescue you? What's the chances? I'm not putting my house on it. Put it that way. We looked at wealth of family. God enables the rising of men and women in a God-centered house that will cause their children to rise, to stand with them at the gates, to be a people of legacy who share their strength with the corporate house, that marriages are strong, that kids are strong, that we have respect, that we have honor for each other. All of that is reflected in what should be our portion in the house. And the man became rich Wealthy, very wealthy. But God turns around and says, I have all of this which is lined up for you. What are you going to do about it? The mind. We have not been given a spirit of timidity or fear, but love, power, and uh, Where do you keep the battle? Outside. As soon as you allow the issues to get in here, oh, you've just made friends with a monster under your bed. You keep everything here because our battle is not against flesh and blood. We keep it here. We have to learn principles and processes that will stop us becoming madmen that just run around like crazy people. Emotional stability. See, we can go quiet on that one. I believe this. Note that I wrote. I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm certainly not wrong is that emotional stability will be brought into place and be dealt with when I act and move and the Christ is being formed on the inside of me and the fruit of the Spirit is being established, I should become more emotionally stable. Would you agree? 
So if we look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, kindness, long-suffering, go do your own research. So question for you to think about over your dinner. If my emotional state is Christ being established, or is there somewhere where I've took my foot off the gas? Because as we progress and grow in him, I should be and we should be emotionally stable. Leave that one with you. Finance. Stop eating all your seed. That as soon as you've got it, you spend it. I always used to say about our dad, that when money hits his pocket, it's burning a hole. Do you ever get one of those where it's his birthday and he's opened a card from granny and there's a fiver in it? He's not reading ever what's on the card. It's, I have the prize and what time does the shop open? I don't know if I want to buy something, if I ever need to buy anything, but I've got a fiver and I'm willing to give it away. But in church... You'll like this one. Bear with the analogy. The church's perspective on finance works like this. It's very much the Victorian understanding and concept of sex. It's a necessary evil, but whatever you do, don't enjoy it. <laughs> so we think finance is a necessary evil, but whatever you do, don't enjoy it and don't learn to hold it, to multiply it, and distribute it. It's just, I've taken that vow of poverty, good for you, I've taken that vow of poverty that will keep me over here, and I will live in faith. Don't you think I'm living in faith? But it's amazing how you need your faith for me to provide your needs, because you're not even looking to God. You're thinking, well, I'll tell you the story, Kath, and you can, all right, I'll help. Where's your check? Where do I sign? How much do you want? We have to take control of different issues, don't we? Possessions, the possessions we have are not badges of honor. They should be tools that can be used for me and for the kingdom. There's a great statement, and the statement goes like this. I don't care what you drive. I want to know what drives you. So you might have a bucket, and it's great. It starts in the morning, gets from A to B. If you live in Openshaw, you only put £4.99, stroke £5 in your petrol every day. Or do I need to be seen to be successful and drive a certain car? Andy, you never asked your permission, but it's too late. I'm here now. I'm saying it. I've got the mic. Andy said that one of the biggest issues that he had when he was at BT, top man at BT, this is it. Mister, this is it. We're at life at the sharp end. That one of the biggest issues they had, that when he's with these real successful men and business guys, somebody's driving an Aston Martin and the Jag and blah, blah, and he turns up in his Ford Focus estate... One of us, can we just say that in the car park, we've gone, Jag, Jag, Merc, Jag, Merc, Lamborghini, Andy. Andy, <laughs> will you please go and park in the MPC car park down the road because you are pulling down the value of the projection that we have. You need to be perceived to be at a certain level and have all the toys it starts with the car, and then it goes to the watch, and then it goes to where you get your shirts tailored, and then it goes to where you get your shoes made, because you're not going to Clark's, where you get your shoe, uh, shoes made, 
and all of the stuff. The possessions come about not who you are, but what you're willing to project. And the people in the biggest trouble are the ones who want their friends to think that they earn more than they actually do. Yes? Your talents and gifts. We have talents and gifts. We give them responsibility in the house. God makes you, he builds you, he causes you to be wealthy so that in the house we build a blueprint for communities. A community is on, this is family, this is communication, this is how you deal with wealth, this is how you set up businesses, this is how you can help, this is how you can be generous that what God's pouring in, it's not just for his people but for the creation and changing of communities and nations. Origination. Deterioration, restoration, destination. God wants to bless us and make us wealthy for a reason. That when you read the other scripture that carries on from Genesis 26, it says, and the Philistines envied him. Not just because he had flocks and herds, but they knew the guy before. So what changed? If you have a testimony of, I met Jesus Christ and he changed my life, wonderful. Where did he change you? How did he change you? Where did he change you? What's new? What's different? Why should it even be bothering me? So let's ask ourselves the question again. Who would define themselves this morning as being wealthy? So we're getting a little bit more than three now. But even now, I said to you, this will hit your soul before it hits your spirit. You will still look at yes, but mentality and start to talk myself out of everything that's going down question works like this for every one of us in those seven categories some of us will be well in the black others will be in the red we're overdrawn in certain areas Maybe our finance isn't right. Maybe I know my emotions aren't right. Maybe I can't control my mind. Maybe my family's a box of frogs. Maybe it's all going down. So the question is, if I'm overdrawn in an area, am I willing to put in the work and take what I can take, draw from the principles and blueprints that God is saying to me so I can see these areas not only fixed, but I can become rich, blessed, rich, wealthy, very wealthy. That when somebody turns around and says to you, I've just been reading a book, it's called What Mums, What Mums Want and What Dads Need to Know. And there was this couple that was having issues. And this is when you know you've got an issue. There was a, a dinner party. Dinner parties. <laughs> you know he's not talking about Openshaw, don't you? Or They're having a dinner party. And somebody said to this guy, what do you love about your wife? And his response was, do you know what? Her understanding of food and how you can blend them ingredients, I tell you, I've never met anybody like it. And you know, he did this to his wife, absolutely reduced her to nothing. We build lives that reflect what we are. If we're overdrawn and somebody says, Chris, why, how, in this world of things falling apart, how long, how have you been married for? Sorry, say again. You don't have to be embarrassed about it, Chris. 40 years. He's like, four years. I'm telling you, it feels like it's longer, but it's it. When somebody says, how did you maintain that relationship with that woman? 
through blood, sweat, and tears, through good times and bad times, through indifference, through I'm going to... You know those when you strangle somebody in the sleep and they don't know about it? <laughs> if you're ever frustrated, try this. Maybe it's her or it's him. But if you can get in a certain position, you can see a shadow around somebody's neck. And if you do that, the shadow makes you feel like you've actually done it. <laughs> Sorry. Midsummer murders. Midsummer murders. I've got too much. Does this change my role as an elder in any way? I'm just, just checking. <laughs> but the issue is, in any of those areas, when somebody says to you, when everything's going crazy at work and you're the stable one, your emotions are in place and somebody says, how come you didn't flip out? When somebody says, what about your wife? When somebody says, how come you've been able to save when everybody else is kind of the world's falling out? Whatever those areas are, God must make you so he blesses you, makes you rich, makes you wealthy, makes you very wealthy for a pattern and a principle to the outside world. So when I use that term, please, I know I said that I'm going to be dealing with the area of the soul first. But when we talk about wealth, please forget finance is important, but shove it over here. That God wants to make the whole man. And if he can make the whole man and you can cause to run and put these things into place, you will run your race with strength. But in every one of these areas, I, please, I would just advise you this morning, I would counsel you this morning, look and say, what was the origination? Where have I seen deterioration? Where am I building restoration? And what will be the destination? <clears throat> these are not buzzwords. If you think the way you think, take it back. What was my parenting like? How was I brought up? You was always told this and you'll never be anything. You'll always be the stupid one and you can only work in Greg's. And all of this, who put it there? So what restitution do I need to put into place? I align myself with the word because if nothing else, take one joy this morning. He has opened the waters. Now start to walk through it. Amen? We're building reflections to be a change in the world. So let me just finish with these two statements. Statement number one is, can I bless you this morning? Oh, right, I'll talk to myself. Would you like blessing this morning? This should be something that should be part and parcel of what we have in our lives. Okay? Because we think, I don't want to get religious, so I won't do it. Let's get religious for a minute, because some things are good. In Numbers 6, 24 and 26, it says this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Oh. May the Lord, I'll talk to myself. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In an uncertain time and in a certain world which we live in, I can know blessing, richness, wealth, great wealth of walking with him. I walk with him. I'm changed with him. I fellowship with him. He's intimate with me. I'm intimate with him. I open the word. He reveals it to me. When I pray, I know that I'm being heard. 
All of that is the wealth that he's looking to bring to you. He wants to turn his face towards you and he wants to bless you and give you peace. So the final statement, let's just stand to our feet for a moment. We used to do this maybe about a year ago and it's, you know, we get caught in, oh, we've done it a bit, so let's just let it go. But we made this declaration. Peace to you, peace to your house, and peace to everything that you own. So peace to you, peace to your house, and peace to everything that you own. And my blessing and prayer this morning was that the Lord will bless you and make you rich, that you may prosper and become wealthy and become very wealthy indeed, so that the Philistines, those outside of the house, will look to you and say, I want to be like Julie. I want to be like Andy. I want to be like, put your name in there. That I'm not just a tag on like everybody else, but my God, my life reflects this kingdom which you're putting on the inside. What was on the inside, I'm taking off the bushel so that my life will be like a city on a hill. Amen. Amen. But please, deal with your own mindset. Ask yourself the question, what was my origination? Where have I allowed this to deteriorate? And what will I do to be restored? And if I need help, find help. Because guess what? If you could fix it on your own before, you would have? Right. So there's smartness one-on-one. You couldn't do it. So get some help. Amen. But the Lord bless you. Cause his face to shine. Have a blessed week. Thank you for blessing me back. Have a blessed week. Amen. So let's just pray. Lord God, Father, we just pray that as we seal this today. Father, we thank you that we are just reminded again. Lord God, Father, for the dream of the King. That, Lord God, Father, it is not just a CD, but, Lord God, Father, there is a frequency that is moving from this house that is being sent out. And that, Lord God, I pray that as a people, that there will be no poverty. I pray for prosperity. I pray for blessing. I pray for richness, for wealth, and greater wealth and abundance. I pray, Lord God, for strong marriages, for kids that are raised well, for good use of finance, Lord God, for sound minds, for emotions and lives that reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Oh my God, I pray this morning in Jesus' name that we will be and live as a blessed people. We break off a poverty mentality and mindset and say, from this day, I will choose to walk through the waters that you've opened for me, Lord. Because not only is your presence before me, but you are a guard behind me, Lord God. And the Egyptian that I see today, I will never see again. Lord God, we seal that right now in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord God, where we've been robbed, where we've been held back, where our portion has been taken away, I pray right now in Jesus' name. May it be health, wealth, life, Lord God, and may Christ be the centre of all we are, all we say, all we do. And the people of God said, Amen. 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 Amen.